John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Good morning, good morning. Good to be with you all here today. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. I realize I should have said that earlier rather than halfway in the service. That way you know who I am. Good to be with you all here today. Uh, I'm the main preaching pastor of this service here. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you and you want to open them up, we are in the middle of our prayer series, and we've been looking at a different psalm that reflects a different aspect of prayer, and our scripture for today is going to be Psalm 145. We're uh, basing this prayer series off of a prayer book written by a man named Pete Gregg, Uh, who if you've been here for the past few weeks, you know he's the leader of what's called the 24-7 prayer movement that he started in England, where basically there's someone praying in that movement 24-7 for renewal and revival in the church. And he wrote this book about how to pray a simple guide for normal people. If you haven't bought the book yet, I would highly encourage you to do it. It is my favorite, favorite book on prayer. And he did this acronym... um, that he bases his sort of prayer method on, which is based on the word pray itself, P-R-A-Y. And we talked a bit about that last week, but here's the acronym again on the screen, that P stands for pause. And we talked about that last week, that before we enter into God's presence in prayer, we should pause in his presence. And then we rejoice, and that's what we're talking about today is the R, rejoice. And then we ask God of what we want and then finally yield to him. Last week I said we talked about the importance of pausing in God's presence, that we need to first still our hearts and minds before God, before we enter into our list and our wants and desires, that we need to first recognize who is it that we're entering into prayer with. That we need to still the noise, as Jeff said. We need to calm our hearts and calm our minds and just be in the presence of God first before we pray and talk to Him. And this week we're looking at the R part, the rejoice, which is chapter 4 in the book if you're following along and you want to read this next week. That we rejoice, first we pause, first we recognize the presence of God in front of us, in our midst, and then once we have paused and recognized Him among us, then we rejoice in God. We rejoice to the Lord in prayer. When we look at the Lord's Prayer, right, the the model from which Pete bases his book off of, and the way that Jesus tells us to pray, the disciples in the Gospels ask Jesus very few questions. Most of the time it's an explanation like, Lord, what did you mean by that? Uh, One of the questions that they go and ask Jesus for advice about is, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? And the few questions that the disciples ask is, Lord, teach us how to pray, because I think there's deep down within each and every one of us this uh, feeling of incompetence within us when we approach God in prayer. And so the Lord gives us his prayer, the Lord's prayer. And it starts off with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It starts off with the rejoicing 
of who God is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That it starts off with the declaration of the nature of God and the character of God, and then that frames the rest of the prayer that Jesus then prays. And rejoicing is so important in our prayer time because rejoicing reminds us who is this God that we are praying to. Rejoicing reminds us who is this God that we are praying to. In Pete's book, he has this quote that I really liked. He said, I have found in my 25 years of experience that people's biggest problem with prayer is God. I have found that people's biggest problem with prayer is God. And what he means by that is we often have uh, deep within our hearts or within our minds a misunderstanding of the character and nature of God. We believe maybe he's this evil taskmaster sort of scowling up in heaven with a stick ready to smack us across the head if we step out of line. Or he's this really angry God. You know, the, 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 the sermon, the one sermon they made me read in all of my uh, secular education was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, right? That famous Jonathan Edwards sermon. Like, why is it that was the sermon that was picked of all the messages throughout Christian history for us to read. And I think that's sort of this common understanding that people sometimes have of the Christian God that he's that we're all just sort of sinners in the hand of an angry God. But the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray tells us something different and the scriptures tells us about the difference of the character of God. It starts off with our Father. Our Father. We talked a lot about this last week, that prayer is ultimately about relationship with God, intimacy with the Lord, that even in the opening prayer of Jesus, we see that invitation that Jesus is inviting each and every single one of us to participate in, to become a child of God. That in Jesus' day and age, that in the Old Testament scriptures, God was described with father-like qualities, but the Israelites would never dare to address God as our Father until Jesus does it himself in the Gospels. Just the sheer audaciousness of Jesus to call God Father. And what Jesus is revealing to us is a deeper relationship that the Lord is inviting us into. That Jesus says, you can call the creator of heaven and earth your Father. And this is what Pete is getting at here, that we don't truly deep down believe that Jesus, that the Lord loves us like a father. And we don't truly believe God loves us, that deep down in our soul, we don't believe God cares for us, we don't believe God likes us. And so, yeah, he says, if you believe that God thinks that way about you, if you think God is kind of keeping you at arm's distance, that God doesn't really like you, or God barely tolerates you, I wouldn't want to pray either. And if we truly believe that God is angry and scowling, it makes sense that we wouldn't want to be people who pray. But Jesus is challenging us and pushing us to say, this is the character and nature of God that we get to call him our Father, our Father who is unlike our earthly fathers who sometimes mess up, who sometimes do more than mess up, but they inflict evil upon us. But we believe that the Father in heaven is a good Father, the one that our hearts have always longed for, 
the one who desires deep, rich, intimate relationship with him, the one who desires to hold us and know that we are deeply and profoundly loved by him and that we can approach our heavenly father with anything that we have going on in our life. This is the invitation that Jesus extends to us in the way that he teaches us how to pray by saying our father. So Jesus invites us for intimacy with God and then he says our father who art in heaven, who dwells in heaven, holy be your name. Our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name. Jesus juxtaposes, there's this tension that exists within the Christian faith, right? We have many different tensions that exist in the Christian faith, and this is one of them, that we have God the Father, the one who desires intimacy and closeness with us, but he is also the Father who dwells in heaven and whose name is Holy, this tension that exists of intimacy and yet transcendence. That God is beyond us. That God is somehow beyond our limited understanding. God himself is beyond space and time because he himself created space and time. The one who created the entire universe and created galaxies that just declare the splendor of his glory and the one who knows every single hair on our head He is God, and we are not. There's this humility that Jesus also invites us into when we pray, that there are some things in this life that we'll never fully be able to comprehend or understand because God himself is greater than us. And I know that at times, especially in my own life, that can be a little scary because sometimes I I like to be in control. I don't know about you. I like to be the one who's in control of my life, right? And sometimes uh, the Christian faith is about surrendering that control and saying, Lord, I am not God. You are. You are the one who dwells in heaven. Your name is holy. So we have this tension, right, of the God who is transcendent and beyond and whose name is holy, but yet also here at the same time, this is also the God who invites us to call him Father. And so that brings us back to prayer, that the posture of our heart as we approach the Lord in prayer, as we pause in the presence of God, recognizing who he is, our Father whose name is holy, and we rejoice and recall that he is our Father whose name is holy, that we recall and remind ourselves about who God is. And that brings us to our psalm for today, a psalm of David. We're going to be in verses... uh, 3 through 20. It's a lot of scripture reading, but it'll be good because all the Psalms are good. Uh, So Psalm 145, 3 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you, and they tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy 
in all that he promises and faithful in all that he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you and give you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. This is the word of God for you, me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is a Psalm of David basically just praising God, rejoicing in God. And there's a few different ways that we see that David rejoices in this psalm. Uh, In verses 4 through 6, he starts off by declaring the mighty acts of God. He, He talks about the importance of remembering what God has done. He says that one generation tells the other generation about what they have done, that they speak of the glories of your splendor and your majesty, that we think and meditate on your works, and we tell the power of what you have done, and I will proclaim your great deeds, that they remember the actions of God in the midst of their lives. They remember what God has done in their midst, and they remember what God has done to his people of Israel. In other words, what David here is reminding us is to rejoice and remind ourselves and each and every single one of us of what God is doing in our lives. That when we approach God in prayer, we need to rejoice and remember back to him in prayer what he has already done in our lives how he has already been faithful in our lives, how he has been faithful to those in our lives, and not just our family's lives, but our friends' lives and our church life, that we rejoice and remember that this is who God is. These are his mighty acts, and we remember what God has done for his people in the history of the world, that when we approach God in prayer, it frames our hearts and postures our hearts for when we then ask God, of things we remember what he has done and then the psalmist goes on to extol the character of God that not only does he talk about what God has done he talks about the character of God himself in verses 9 through 12 he says the Lord is good to all and compassionate slow to anger rich in love all will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, that he says, Lord, this is your character. You are good. You are compassionate. You are full of glory. You are trustworthy in the promises that you make. You are faithful. You lift up the brokenhearted. You satisfy the deepest desires of my heart, Lord, that you are righteous. You are faithful. You are near and intimate to us, and you watch over us, and that you are a God who provides justice, that David remembers and rejoices in the character of God. And the character of God is who he is eternally. Scripture says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even this psalm reminds us that the promises of the Lord, is that the Lord is trustworthy in all that he promises and that he himself is faithful that when we rejoice in prayer to God, we rejoice not only in what he has done for us and what he has done uh, to us, but also to remind ourselves of that. But also we rejoice in his character. We rejoice in who we know that he is. Because sometimes 
we deep down in our hearts believe one thing, and we need to remind ourselves because the heart is deceitful above all things, as the prophet Jeremiah reminds us. We need to remind ourselves, no, this is the truth of who God is. He is good. He loves me. He is for me. He is on my side. And we need to approach in prayer, reminding ourselves, this is who God is. It's not something we do accidentally. It's a choice that we have to intentionally walk into. Paul reminds us to rejoice always. I say again, rejoice, as Paul writes in Philippians. It's an intentional choice to choose to rejoice and remember what God has done for us and who God is. This is why we structure the prayer this way, right? Remember our structure, P-R-A-Y, that we do two things before we ask God of anything. We pause in his presence. We remind ourselves of who he is. We, we shut out the noise. We, we enter into that holy space, that holy place with him, and then we rejoice and remember who he is. And the reason that we do that is because when we rejoice and remember God's character and God's nature, I believe that it, that it uh, makes us pray boldly when we then ask God of things. When we remember who God is, it informs what we then ask of him. Because when we rejoice and remember, Lord, you're a God who is good and loving and compassionate, then we are leaning deeper into God's, into God's heart when we ask him of things. We need to first, before we ask God of things, remind ourselves, who is this God that I am praying to? Who is this loving God that I am praying to? Growing up, I was a, a very anxious and timid child like just very, very scared of everything. Like even Disney movies would just terrify me, right? Just a very, very timid child. And uh, I, I've struggled with seasons of anxiety all my life ever since I've been in kindergarten. And I remember there was one uh, point in my life when it was really bad, when I was really young. I was probably like first or second grade. And I was really young, you know, and you can't really process much when you're that age. And I was just having these really bad panic attacks that I could just really never uh, get under control. And growing up, one of the things me and my brother used to love to do is we would have like those little like, you know, cheap Walmart balls, right? And we would just love to just roll it back and forth to one another. And we could do that for hours at a time. And I remember during this season of my life uh, as a child, I was in the middle of this sort of anxious season and I had this dream, and it was a dream of me and the Lord doing what me and my brother used to love to do. That we were just kind of rolling this ball back and forth. And I remember I just had this overwhelming and deep, profound sense of peace about me as we were just rolling the ball back and forth and playing with one another. And I remember I said to the Lord in that dream, I was like, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid right now. And I remember the Lord said to me, you never have to be afraid around me. And then I woke up. Right? That's a great story. That's one of those very impactful stories that you have in your life. And yet, here's the hard reality that I often found myself in. I forget about that story all the time. I, you would think I would remember that story every single day in my life, but boy, I so quickly forget that story all the time. And you know when I forget that story, probably when I need it the most. 
whenever other times in my life when I would have seasons of anxiety or whenever I have it or I worry about things, uh, my first thought should immediately go back to that dream and that promise that God made to me that you don't have to be afraid around me. But often it takes weeks or months before I then remember that dream. Oh yeah, God did make me that promise. Right? Am I the only one who forgets the promises of God when things get hard? I don't turn to him like he invited me to do all those years ago because that's what we do. We forget. We're a forgetful people. We forget about who God is and what he has done in our lives because when things happen in our lives, uh, when heartache and trouble and suffering comes into our lives, it seems to challenge these beliefs that we have about God's nature and character. And so we then have these choices. Are we going to hold on to what we know to be true about God or are we going to let the bad things happen to us form and shape what we believe about God? And so when we enter into the presence of God in prayer, that's why we need to rejoice and remind ourselves that the present circumstances and the present reality we find ourselves in are not the ultimate reality and are not reflective of the character of God. That we rejoice and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, you are a God of mercy and compassion. Lord, you are good. Lord, your promises are yes. And so we say, amen. Lord, you are the God who came and died that we might have life and life eternally. Lord, you are the God who heals the sick. Lord, you are the God who desires to bring freedom and wholeness and life into our lives. Lord, you are the God who tells us we don't have to worry about anything in this life. You are the source of all provision that, Lord, you are the God who has come to break the power of canceled sin in our lives. That when we rejoice and remind ourselves of God's character and nature and what he has done in our lives, it draws us deeper into his presence. It transforms our hearts and it emboldens our prayer, especially in those difficult seasons, in those desert seasons, right? Most of the Psalms that I think David wrote were in seasons of trial and tribulation, most of the great psalms are seasons of desolation and devastation in David's life. And when you read the psalms, which is what I would encourage you to do, uh, it's been one of my greatest uh, spiritual growths in my Christian walk is when I uh, saw the psalms as truly life-giving and I read them constantly is that almost every single psalm, even the psalms of lament, even the psalms where people are crying out to God in anguish, that there is always an element of praise in the Psalms and always an element of remembering God's character and God's nature in the middle of the difficult circumstances they find themselves in. In the Old Testament, one of the most common uh, commands that God gives to his people is remember. Remember Israel. Israel, remember who your God is. Israel, remember what God has done for you. Israel, remember these things. Israel, don't you remember what I did for you in Egypt? Israel, don't you remember when I did this to you? If you notice, whenever you read these Old Testament stories, that they'll have this great, mighty, and wonderful encounter with God. 
and they'll have this sort of magnificent sort of highlight of their life mountaintop moment with God. And if you notice in those Old Testament stories, often what will happen is at the end of the story, it'll just have like an aside and it'll say, and then they set up a stone, right? Or they'll set up an altar of the Lord and they'll call that altar or that stone whatever happens. So like they'll say, this is when uh, God helped us. This is when God rescued us. This is when God saved us. Uh, you know the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Here I raise my Ebenezer. That comes from the scripture where that was a moment that happened where God helped them and they set up a stone and they called it Ebenezer, which means my God helps. And so whenever the people of God would pass that stone or would pass that altar, they would see that reminder of who God is and what he has done and they would look at that stone and remember, remember that time when God helped us. Do you remember that time when God was faithful to us? Do we remember the times in our lives when God was faithful to us? When God was faithful to our family? When God was faithful to our friends? And do we rejoice and remember especially when times in our lives are difficult? When times in our lives are challenging? When it seems like everything else is washed away and we don't know what we're holding on to? that we choose to rejoice anyways, knowing that God is faithful to his promises. I'd like to invite the band back up as I close the story. Uh, in seminary, I was having one of those other seasons of anxiety that was really rough. Uh, it just went on for kind of a few months, and me and Erica were praying pretty much every day, felt like every hour, uh, for healing and breakthrough to happen in my life. And I remember for that particular season in my life, the, the breakthrough that happened, uh, I, was, uh, I did landscaping when I was in college to help pay the bills. And so I would just listen to worship music pretty much all the time while I was uh, mowing lawns. And so there was a song that came on. It was a Raise a Hallelujah by Bethel. And uh, it was sort of the live version, right? So they had the worship leader talk. And so they sang the song for about five minutes, and then the worship leader uh, stops in the middle of it, and he says sort of this uh, challenge to the congregation. He says, you know, uh, we can sing these songs all the time up here, but I can't make you raise your own hallelujah, that you have to choose. Will you raise your hallelujah to the Lord, no matter what you're facing, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in? And it was in that moment that I kind of realized that I had not intentionally chosen to raise my hallelujah in the middle of my difficult season. And so as I was mowing the lawn, I just started doing that. I sang along with the song. And that was the moment that for that season of my life, my anxiety broke. That it was in the choosing to rejoice. It was in the choosing to remember the character of God. It was in the choosing to remember the faithfulness of God not in spite of, or not uh, despite what was happening, but in the very face of all the trial and tribulation. That when we enter into God's presence in prayer, we pause before him and we rejoice and remember, Lord, this is who you are. This is what you have done. And this is what you will do for us now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening with us. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.